Welcome to the show. This week, we have episode three with Charlie B from the Charlie B Company. He'll be talking to us about all things bees, wasps, and other things with stingers. (laughs) (laughs) I did not expect that. Okay, that's funny. And now for the show. Do you have a black thumb? Are you wondering what the word horticulture means? Are you a little bit seedy? A little shady? Do you stand in the garden and wonder, what the f*** am I doing? Do you look at people's yards and wonder, what the f*** are they doing? If so, this podcast is for you, no matter your gardening experience level. I'm Shannon. And I'm Marcella. Two friends who like to laugh and learn our way through life and gardening. Tune in as we interview some awesome people who talk to us about their love for plants, trees, gardens, bugs, and more. Welcome to CD and Shady AF, a sketchy gardening podcast. Shannon, have you ever been stung by a bee? Yeah, I've been stung by a bee once. I was actually at a parade and a bee stung me behind the ear. And ever since then, I've been kind of like, why? Yeah, why would you sting me? I was minding my own business. I understand how bees are important and I understand how they pollinate, but they just want to be like in your face, just like buzzing. They're like the friend who wants to be your friend too much. You know what I mean? Yeah, I, I, I can relate. And I, I, I got a friend or two like that. <laughs> do they, do your friends sting you as well? <laughs> Thankfully, no. I was stung by a bee one time when I was at the beach um, and they stung me in my toe. How does a bee sting you in your toe? It was so painful and I was so mad and I like jumped up and made a whole scene and my family was looking at me crazy. Your family's probably looking at you crazy quite a bit though, regardless. That's fair. That's that valid. I feel like this is a story because like do bees dwell underground? How do you step on a bee? Like I have, you know, w- these are all the things that we will learn about bees if bees in fact live underground, which we have our, our great episode coming up with Charlie B and that is actually something that you will learn where bees live. Absolutely. Enjoy. Today we have um, Charlie B, um, our resident beekeeper. I guess I'm calling you that right now, but um, sure. I'll take it. <laughs> if he didn't Perfect. know, now he knows. <laughs> now he knows, right? He's our resident beekeeper. So, one of the things that we do is we have our guests um, send us a quick bio. And so, um, from reading your bio, it's evident you have moved around and done a lot of really cool things. So, you taught English in Japan for a while. You worked at some fisheries in Alaska. You crisscrossed South and Southeast Asia. So, you've done so many great things, so many cool things. Um, and so, you have quite an adventurous spirit. So, I guess I kind of want to know first how did you end up in all these different places? Yeah, it's the strangest life I've ever known, really. Uh, <laughs> I, uh, I've got, yeah, I do have an adventurous spirit. I have, my grandmother called it, uh, she said, you have itchy feet, you have wanderlust. And so um, I've always liked to travel. I've, I've always sought out adventure. Back in the day, you know, it was, it was those crazy listings in the back of like Rolling Stone magazine, like, <laughs> oh, we're big money in Alaska or, or teach English in Asia or wherever. So I've always kind of heeded those calls and uh, yeah, never I've lived an unconventional life, no regrets. And, and it carries on beekeeping. You know, I started beekeeping in my forties and had, I, I'm kind of a greenie, you know, I like the outdoors and then I fell into beekeeping and just haven't looked back. It's been amazing. So Charlie, how did you get into beekeeping? You said you kind of came into it in your forties. What kind of led you that direction? 
yeah, so I was living in Idaho, Southern Idaho, and working at a TV station and got dragged to a beekeeping presentation, the kind of presentations that I now give all over the place talking about bees. And the guy was very engaging. Um, Kirk Tubbs is his name. He runs a, he's a, um, has an orchard and he sells bees and beekeeping. He and his wife are just awesome, small scale uh, organic farmers and uh, they taught beekeeping. And I had a vague interest. And by the end of the talk, I was like, how do you make a queen? And what that, I, I guess I always knew that bees were complex and that mm -hmm. they collaborated and there's one queen for every hive. But the more, and then I started to read and got into it and got, got a hive that first year and it took off. Um, moved back to Texas uh, a year later and started doing bee removal, which is my, that's my, my big thing. And I just, it's like a, a drug. I don't know. I just love it. <laughs> it's, it's, every every removal is an adventure. They're a lot of fun. It's certainly better than other drugs you could be. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Doing so. <laughs> so, um, in the work that you do, um, in the removal and in the beekeeping, what species of bees are you generally working with? I'm working with honeybees. So, Apis mellifera is their, you know, the kingdom phylum order class name, Apis mellifera, and then you have uh, subspecies, which are, they call them races. It's almost like dog breeds. So they're all, but they're all honeybees, European honeybees. And then there are just many different um, varieties of honeybees. But um, there's thousands of solitary bees. There's other types of honey uh, honeybees. Like there's an Asian honeybee. There's the, uh, the giant honeybee, which makes, um, and the psychotropic honey and in Nepal, uh, we have all kinds of critters that do similar things, right? Uh, pollination and 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 uh, make make use of that and serve an important role. Honeybees are just the ones that can be managed easily, managed by humans and have been for centuries. So, you know, one thing you said, Charlie, kind of actually leads to one. We have two listener questions today. And so one of our listener questions was, um, when were bees introduced to North America from Europe and why? And then do indigenous bees that were already existing in, in North America, do they make honey? Yeah. So uh, I went to a talk recently of, from someone talking about Native American food stuffs and talking about what's the the... Uh, the, the different types of jerkies and things that people made. And the person, and I pointed out a major error, started talking about how they would find honey. And uh, it's, it's a major error because uh, before colonists came to North America, there, there were no honeybees per se. The European honeybee was brought here. I mean, they're, they're like an agricultural product. They were brought on ships as hives, you know, and they were uh, introduced to this country with early, early settlers, you know, 1642 and after. Um, all the settlements brought, uh, they brought their bees. And the Native Americans called honeybees the white man's fly. So they kind of migrated ahead of the, uh, the, the, the colonists. And so they're not, you know, the bees I work with are not native to North America. Um, that said, they did recently find fossil evidence of a, of a historic, prehistoric 
uh, honeybee that lived in the Arctic or the, the north northern parts of North America. So kind of changed the narrative a little bit, but uh, really only since uh, colonists came to North America and then then they they've become honeybees have become very very successful invasive species, right? They're tied they're tied into our agricultural production. They they live on their own out in nature and trees and and wherever, and so uh, they're very successful. There was a second part of that question I totally forgot. Oh, the second part of the question, I think you kind of went into it, like about indigenous bees. Oh, indigenous bees. Indigenous yeah. bees were brought over. So, so okay. So honeybees were brought here. There's thousands of varieties of solitary bees, mostly wasps, all of which pollinate. There's some species. There's like there's a critter called the Mexican honey wasp, and I'm in I'm in uh, New Braunfels, Texas, which is just north of San Antonio. So we are on the very northern edge of Mexican honey wasp uh, territory, and they they love hot weather. They form a big ball. It can be as big as like like a like a yoga ball. I mean, they can be huge. They tend to be up high in trees, and it's like a papery. So they're wasp, but they're eusocial, um, which is the term for having one productive queen and then all the other workers, female, doing all the work. <laughs> <laughs> They do, they do pr produce honey, but you'd have to basically cut the, the, the paper mache hive open to get to the honey. So yeah, honeybees and uh, imported from Europe are the, are the source of, our, of all of our honey that we get here. I can't even like fathom a time that there weren't bees here. So that's, you just taught me like in the last five minutes, I just learned so much. Yeah. Dude, that's I mean, interesting. Well, we, it, bees are tied to our agriculture. So our, our, you know, what we grow in this country is not what Native Americans grew, you know, hundreds of years ago. So our, our agriculture is altered, GMO for lack of a better word, but it's sort of improved, right? We've created these hybrids and species of, of uh, vegetables that grow really well, right? And then that they need, a lot of them need pollination. Right. Yes, and yes. historically, and bees, honeybees are in a network of thousands of other types of bees. So there are other, um, the solitary bees, the mason bees that live in, in wood or, or a rock, um, leaf cutter bees, all these different types of bees, wasps as well. Nobody, nobody rescues wasps, right? I get <laughs> it. Nobody <laughs> wasps, but wasps do the same kind of thing as bees. So, um, yeah, let leave them alone. Let them do their good work, and uh, they're a benefit. But they they do they do sting, and they're scary. Yeah. <laughs> so, are, are 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 bees generally friendly, or are some species of bees more you know mean than other bees? Yeah. So, in this part of the world, so south of the Mason Dixon line, hugging the Gulf Coast and all the way to sort of Southern California, we have since the 19, let's see, I wanna say 1990 was the first incursion of a bee called Scutellata. So Apis mellifera mm -hmm. is the root. And then those different types of bees as subspecies, Apis mellifera, uh, Ligustica is the classic lovely, well-behaved Italian bee, Apis mellifera, Scutellata, 
is the, uh, the African lowland honeybee brought to Brazil in the 1950s as an experiment. Uh, and the experiment got loose and they came uh, north and it was well publicized. There's a lot of hysterical press around. Uh, I don't, I try not to use the term Africanized honeybee, although that's kind of the common nomenclature. I think there's mm -hmm. a problem with that term. So we're actually, as a lot of beekeepers talking about different terms like use scutellata, African lowlands honeybee, um, uh, um, equatorial honeybee, because that's, they tend to be here. So in this part of Texas, since 1990, we have this scutellata variety of bee that has changed the landscape of bees and beekeeping. And uh, they, they are not friendly. Um, all bees, all bees sting and all bees will defend their colony. So a great big colony of lovely Italian honeybees, if they're full and they're huge, they'll defend to the degree that they have resources and numbers. Uh, the scutellata variety of bee does so similarly, but they tend not to quit that they so, will sting, uh, sting and persist. And there's just, we've, I've run into some horribly tragic situations on, mm -hmm. on the job doing bee removal. Um, there, there's lots of, lots of stories all across the country of mostly people who are allergic, dying of bee stings. And wow. but, uh, honeybees are not to be trifled with. They are, they are, uh, a stinging critter just doing what they do. We, we try to use the word, the term defensive mm -hmm. rather than aggressive because uh, they're really just doing their job. They, they mm -hmm. die when they sting. So they are, they are committing suicide to protect their, their home and colony. So um, all my bees are out in the boondocks, right? <laughs> Ranch property. I don't keep bees in urban or you know tight quarters and neighborhoods it's just much so, better that way have you ever been chased by a, a bee uh, and uh, and i mean and and second part second question is if you are ever chased by a bee is it like it is in looney tunes where you run and jump in a <laughs> pond and then the bees just kind of hover over them and you come back up they're still there how does that work exactly true <laughs> as a new beekeeper you know when i moved back to texas in 2014 a friend of mine took me out to his very very spicy colonies and he he like me is a bee remover so the bees that I capture from nuisance situations walls and trees people pay me to come and do bee removal live bee removal and I transplant them those bees in general the 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 feral colonies of bees mm -hmm. are hybrid scutellata spicy spicy uh -huh. bees but my friend took me out to his colony of scutellata bees and oh boy I was taking pictures and I pushed the, my camera against my nose and I got a sting right in the, ah. right in the nose and my nose swelled up. And these bees, we got into the, his vehicle in our suits and we drove, oh, I'd say a half a mile away. And we got out of the vehicle and tried to take our suits off and we got hit. They, they just- Wow. Uh, you know, so it's- yeah. It's, it's because it's good a lot of bees said, you know, we left Brazil and made it to Texas. We can definitely make it a half a mile. Well, they, well, they, they're, they're really right they, they they literally will defend much a much bigger parameter of their wow. so that's the difference in that in that uh that type of bee and they're not you know they jumping in water yes they will wait 
Wow. Uh, they, oh my they, gosh. They, they that is so not the I answer would... I wanted. No. Uh -uh. <laughs> I tell people, and it, it's very counterintuitive if you get into a bee sting situation, which can be absolutely deadly. Mm -hmm. the, the, the way to uh, beat it is to get inside. So let's say you're, you get stung, they go for the face because oh, wow. where are mammals most vulnerable are like a bear. Mm -hmm. it, yeah. and so the bees go for carbon dioxide. So breath, nose, ears, eyes. So when they wow. when a colony is wanting to beat a bear, for example, they're going to go to the most vulnerable part of that bear and similarly with humans. So you get a sting or two, now you're marked because the bees, when they sting, it pulls them apart and they give off a pheromone, which is how bees communicate. It's a smell, a chemical smell. It actually smells like bananas. So the bees, you know, they'll say, hey, get this mammal I got you know, so this you, know, you actually can smell it it smells just like kind of candied banana and when we do bee removals that you know with with more than two on the crew well, hey I smell bananas that means someone's getting stung get ready get everybody get covered up so you're get marked and they'll just keep coming for you so the key wow. is to cut off the supply so those those bees have up to 50,000 friends nearby right <laughs> So you can't outrun them. They just have more friends. They'll just send more friends. So they, and it's, it's counterintuitive to get inside a vehicle if you have 50 bees on you, right? You want to scream and run and bees react to this like, oh, this guy really needs to get killed, right? If I'm you know, swinging my, so getting into a vehicle and turning it on and cranking the air conditioning, cracking the windows. Bees don't like to be inside things. They don't like cold. Mm -hmm. uh, the other thing, getting into a, a building or a structure. But again, the, the, the initial reaction is run for the hills and it just, <laughs> it just doesn't work. So. Wow. So you're telling me that like when bees, when bees come for you, they're jumping you. Like it's a whole group of them coming for you. They can. They can. Yeah. And it, like I said, the, the bees will defend their colony depending on how big their colony is. I mean, think if gotcha. you if you live in an apartment and you uh, and you have twenty dollars in your pocket versus <laughs> if you live in a penthouse full of gold. Right. So yeah. in a penthouse full of gold, they've got armed guards. They've got you know, they're they're they, they don't want to lose what they've got. And uh, wow. they, do, they do die when they sting you. So they don't right. want to sting you, but they, uh, they want to protect their, their hive. But I'm very cautious when I take people on lessons. So I take, I take new, be new wannabe beekeepers out into bees. And we spend a lot of time talking about safety because we don't want people to have a bad time. Right, so right. There's a lot of ways to work with bees in a way that's completely safe. There's good equipment. Obviously we wear suits and a veil over our face, gloves. Yeah you know, tape yeah. sometimes our, you know, ankles or wrists and just make sure the bees can't get to you. We use smoke, which calms the bees. Yes. So, yes. Um, so anyway, I, I, I make it seem scary and bees can be incredibly scary, but yeah. if you, if you take the right precautions, it's, it's doable. Hi there. It's seed in the shade with some fun facts about bees and honey. Did you know that to produce one pound of honey, the honeybees have to visit an estimated 2 million flowers and fly an estimated 55,000 miles. But that, of course, is with the help of the entire hive. Individual bees only produce about 1 12th of a teaspoon of honey during their whole entire lifetime. 
which is only about 45 days during the summer. And while we're on the subject of honey, have you ever wondered where the term honeymoon comes from? One theory is that the word is derived from the Scandinavian practice of drinking mead during the first month of marriage. Mead is an alcoholic drink made from fermenting honey and water, and the moon cycle is about one month, hence honeymoon. Here's to the happy couple, Skull. So that's actually a good segue into our question. We, we, I have a question, and we're going to come back to bees, but you talked about scary, and I want to mention wasp real quick. Mm-hmm. So I, I guess our question is, why are wasps the way they are? I mean, if bees, <laughs> if, if bees and wasps were dance music, bees would be like, everybody dance now, and wasps would be like, I beat that bitch with a bat, you know? <laughs> why are they like that? Well, you know, Mother Nature has a lot of things that are like that, like mosquitoes, like why? I know there's a, re- there's a reason for chiggers that, that bite you in the most tender parts of your body and it itches for weeks. Um, wasps, uh, they, they serve a great purpose. Like I was saying earlier, they are, uh, they're feisty. They can sting multiple times too. A wasp can sting you again and again. And, uh, and there are many, there's a thousand, there's thousands of types of wasps. I am pretty, I've had a couple wasp stings and I had a bad reaction to them. So when I see wasps, I stay away. I'm not an exterminator. So uh, I spend a lot of time on the phone with clients that have a bee problem, they think is a bee problem. And I spend a lot of time trying to identify not bees, right? Cause I, if it's not bees, I can't, I, I'm not. <laughs> So, so I only deal with bees. And yeah, nobody, like I said, nobody rescues wasps, except the Mexican honey wasp. They are kind of cool. I've taken mm-hmm. a few. In, we, uh, we had a TV series on PBS, and we're working on season two now. But in season one, there's an, there's an episode where I go and take a Mexican honey wasp nest and cut the limb that it's on. They tend to attach to a limb and then move that to a, a nature area. But that was just sort of a feel good. I didn't mm-hmm. do anything to like take care of them. Mm-hmm. Uh, ultimately, they got eaten by a raccoon, which was sad. <laughs> but I've, I've there, there's a story that it sounds like there's a whole raccoon. <laughs> That's wasp, right. Charlie, so many follow-on questions. <laughs> many follow-on questions and many layers yeah, right. of sorrow to this story as well. But yeah. <laughs> I don't like wasps. Nobody likes wasps. I, I know, Marcella, you had a couple questions about the bee removal. Yeah. So, again. yeah. So I wanted to know, um, like, can you tell us more about, because you kind of led right into it, but the rehoming yeah. of, of nuisance bee colonies. So like, yeah. what, what is, what does that entail? And yeah, yeah. It's, it's a big part of my business. It's really what got me into beekeeping was bee removal. Today I run about 200 colonies. So my own bees, that are with gentle gentle bees, I lease them for ag, I teach beekeeping, I do a lot of different things. The bee removal piece of it's about half of my income and activity. And it's, it's a lot of fun. I mean, it was the genesis of this TV show we did in this part of the world, south of the Mason-Dixon line, it's very common. So the, whereas up north, um, the bees are less likely to swarm, which is how they reproduce down south. They know they don't have to live through a real long winter, so we can get swarming behavior. So, which means a colony left to itself gets real big, 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 right? It starts out with a couple thousand bees, queen, there's one queen, she lays eggs, they get bigger, 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 bigger. They don't just keep getting bigger, they're a superorganism. So, the colony is the animal, 
the, the 30,000, 40,000 bees, that's the animal. That animal wants to reproduce. And the way that animal reproduces is makes more hives. Literally the term colonize, right? They, they cast off a colony. So the old queen flies off and half the bees fly with her and then they go hang somewhere and look for a new home. Back in the original hive, they make a new queen. They make, and she, she mates, comes back to the hive and starts over with lower numbers. So the hive is constantly casting off colonies of bees. Those colonies of bees go and hang on a limb for a couple of days. And uh, at that point, they're called a swarm. That's just free bees. They're just hanging there. They're like, they, I do this all spring and Texas, it can happen any time of the year, but I'll take those bees, shake them in a box, boom, got a queen, got the bees, they'll, they'll move in great. But if they hang there long enough, they'll find a place to live. And so they'll find the hollow of a tree, which is kind of their more natural habitat or caves, or they need a cavity, like a covered dry structure to live. And that's why we give them as beekeepers, we give them boxes of gotcha. They might find the wall of a house or, you know, an eave or an overhang or a soffit or the floor of a shed or an old tire of a tractor out in a field. All they need is a dry cavity. The bees go, the bees who've left this hive hanging somewhere temporarily, send out scouts. They find that spot and they say, we like it. They move in. Once they move in, they build. They build wax. They build a, they build a big colony. Mama starts laying. They make more bees. They build up honey to survive winter. And then I get a call from a usually unhappy homeowner who tried to run a lawnmower or a weed eater or walk by and hopefully they're not stung up too bad or um, then I come out and um, do live bee removal. It, it costs, I do it for a fee, but um, yeah, I come in and take them out. So, so Charlie, what if someone called you and wanted you to move a beehive from their lawn to their enemy's house? I mean, I think you have more <laughs> integrity than that, but has that ever happened? <laughs> You know, one time I was in a situation where I had to move some of my hives off of a, of a property and um, I was worried. I did it. At, you move hives at night and I, I was concerned because there was a disagreement with the homeowner. Anyway, I said, you know what, if anybody comes to bother me, I could just kick this hive over and I've got <laughs> 30,000 friends that will totally protect me. I'm in a bee suit. <laughs> so, yeah no I, uh, there was a there was a case recently where a woman was being evicted and she opened up her beehive to make the sheriff's deputies go away like that sounds deputy. like something for law and order yeah no totally. write that sure. down <laughs> nobody get any ideas out there <laughs> nobody get any ideas yes um so charlie can you tell us um as gardeners what are some plants and flowers that we can put in our garden to kind of help the pollination and help these pollinators along yeah, that's a great question. I get that a lot. And I think, I think it's great that uh, to have these kind of dialogues about that. So, you know, we're, we don't live in a vacuum. Bees, bees are connected to a three to five mile radius from their hive. And so anything that you can plant that is going to attract pollinators is going to work for bees. And so uh, it's obviously regional. So y'all are, y'all are, in a kind of a natural national 
organization. So it, it would depend where you are. I tell people to talk to their local, if there's like a master gardener or master naturalist program. Um, in general, letting letting things go to seed or to weed is, is just a real good idea. The old joke among beekeepers is you want lazy farmers, you know, who leave their ditches in between the fields and they let them grow with weeds instead of spraying Roundup or using uh, or, or burning them out. So you want that natural forage. In Texas, uh, you know, a lot of folks will seed for wild wildflower, which is great. Yes. In in spring, and then you know, I have yards. I have bee yards in residential areas, and I mean, in San Antonio, things like verbena. I mean, all those uh, the bee balms. My bees mostly feed or forage in in ranch country and they and again they cover a big area so it starts in early spring with we have what's called agarita it's kind of a holly kicks off the season the and bees find pollen and nectar right mm -hmm. so pollen is the stuff that the plants want them to move so they entice bees to get that pollen because with the nectar right so it's a little, but bees collect both and um in Texas, in this part of Texas, we're very pollen rich. We have things like sunflowers and they call them composites. A friend of mine calls them those damn yellow flowers. Just this whole, like they <laughs> yes. grow all the time. They don't generate nectar. So pollen is the protein, is the building block for babies, for in, in bees. Nectar is the is the Gatorade, is the carbohydrates, is the energy. So in Texas, we have to supplement at a lot of times a year with sugar water because we're low on sugar water for, for our bees. But our um, starting in, let's see, end of February, we start to get that good natural spring forage. The wildflowers start to come out by, uh, by April, middle of April. I stop any feeding to my bees if I'm gonna be collecting honey from them and I add additional boxes, they're called honey supers. So I'll have a nice big strong colony, hopefully. We come into April, I give them more space, kind of pristine boxes, let them draw those frames out, build up their honey, that's the honey that I take. I don't wanna make funny honey. So when I say I feed, them, <laughs> I feed them, I feed them not when they're making honey, I feed them when there's nothing out there. And then in Texas, everything dies in the middle of summer, right, we get so hot. So uh, North Carolina, you probably have more of an arc of season. I'm from, uh, from Pennsylvania and my family's all in Massachusetts. They have this epic summer, right? This super right. long summer. But then they, on the tail end, they have the brutal winter. So their mm -hmm. bees build up huge, huge, huge in the summer. And then they have to leave a lot more on for the bees to survive winter. Bees over winter eat their honey. Right. So they need that. Uh, it's a super yes. food for them to eat. They unhook their wings and they use their wing muscles to vibrate almost like shiver. And they keep the colony, they, they form a ball, real tight ball, and they just keep that colony at the right temperature through through the whole whole winter. So they need food to do that. But um, I tell people plant, you know, whatever's going to grow, whatever in, uh, attracts um, attracts bees you know, flowers, veggies, all that good stuff.
I actually uh, had some basil that's going crazy right now and it's still alive, like in November. And I did notice that, you know, I let it go to seed. So there's lots of like, you know, the basil flowers. And back in September, October, there were like a ton of bees on that basil. And so it was really surprising. Yeah. Well, it's incredible because they find, they'll find that resource. Then they'll go back to the colony and they communicate with the colony by, by dancing and moving. And they, they say, hey, great great resource uh we got to go to shannon's house everybody go to shannon's house everybody go to shannon's house. And, then like, and then they will come, they forage like that they find a spot that's like super lush with something and they'll hit it hit it hit it and then they and then maybe then even the next day they'll be somewhere, somewhere right, different right. There. that's how shannon makes her friends actually so ah, it's <laughs> true it is true <laughs> So, um, so we, um, you know, in the last few minutes of our podcast, we also wanted to ask you um, about some very common sayings um, and just wanting to know where you think they might've come from. Okay. So the first one is you're the bee's knees. Oh, I, I'm, I'm tempted to Google that, but <laughs> <laughs> the bee's knees, isn't that kind of uh using the term you're the business and then oh. kind of playing with that term that's from like the 1920s it's ah yeah the business pal yeah the business oh. so I, i'm guessing i may be wrong okay i didn't realize that i thought there was something special about these knees that we needed no. to know about okay no. what about busy b obviously i mean they're they're incredible how they how they work you watch the front of a hive and when it's warm enough and there's resources, they're just constantly going. They build maniacally. Uh, the hive itself is like a factory. So clearly busy, busy bees, busy, busy like bee. bees. Yeah. Okay. The birds and the bees. I don't know. I don't know why that. So if you're trying to explain mammalian reproduction and then you're using bees as an example, it doesn't fit. <laughs> and birds even too are, are like totally quirky so i mean i guess you could describe how bees reproduce but it really wouldn't help as a model so i i'm not sure i get a lot, i talk to school groups a lot and kids always want to know how do they make more bees and i there's times that i have to sort of i can be vague about it and then i sometimes step back and say why don't y'all ask your teacher when old charlie leaves because i don't want to get into those details but bee, bee reproduction is very unlike mammals. They reproduce on the colony level. They produce new queens and, and uh, the, the new queens kill each other. They sort of fight for, the, and then they mate once. The queen makes a mating flight, comes back. So I don't, I don't get that one. So you, you, mentioned, you mentioned queen. So what about queen bee, Beyonce, queen bees? Where does that come from? I mean, there is every hive has one queen bee, and uh, she. It's interesting the the whether to think whether she is the in charge of the hive, which she governs the hive with pheromones. She she tells the hive everybody there. She gives off a very strong scent that says, "There's a queen here, and I'm it." So she tells the other bees, and it represses all the females. Most of the hive is female workers. It represses their ability to ovulate so they don't lay eggs so she's telling them you don't lay eggs i lay eggs <laughs> and then but the, the question is is she there in charge of anything or is she sort of farmed for her egg laying capacity it's it's uh 
the, the workers essentially make all the executive decisions democratically. Hey, we're big enough, let's reproduce or whatever. So the queen sort of works for them. So I don't know. I don't know if I'd want to be a queen bee. <laughs> yeah, doesn't sound like it. So how can we support you and other beekeepers? Uh, I mean, wherever you are, it's always good to um, buy local honey, right? And uh, and yeah, talk to your talk to your local beekeeper. If, you, if you're part of a garden club, connect with a beekeeper. Beekeepers like to talk about bees, so uh, <laughs> it's good to, it's good to uh, connect with your local beekeeper, your beekeeping community. I'm part of you know our state organization, Texas Beekeeper Association, and local clubs. So yeah, we like to connect and talk about you know, what's good for our environment, what's good for our, uh, for our ecology, and certainly gardeners are, are a big part of that. Um, but yeah, buy, meet your local beekeeper, buy, buy local honey. Um, it's a rare commodity. We don't make enough honey in this country to s satisfy the need. So mm -hmm. spend that extra money for the, the, the boutique honey from the local uh, beekeeper at the farmer's market because it's worth it. It'll make you taller. It'll make you smarter. It'll make you more attractive. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> you heard it here, people. Buy your local honey. And where can people find and follow you? Oh, you can find me at charliebee.com, C H A R L I E B E E.com. I'm on the gram. I'm on TikTok. I'm on the Facebooks. I even have Twitter. I don't know if that's going to be around much longer. Yeah. But, uh, <laughs> anyway. Yeah, I have a lot of fun on social, get a lot of uh, interaction with folks, and I enjoy that. And you said you there's a season two in the works for the, the PBS show? Correct. So we made a show all about my doings. You can watch season one on PBS, or if you go to charliebee.com, you can click and watch eight hours of me being a lunatic with, with all my good friends. We had a lot of fun making it, and we're having fun making season two right now. It's a real adventure. Well, awesome. Very cool. And, yeah, thank you for being with us today. And if you need any people to be in the background of season two, just call us up. We're usually not busy. <laughs> I know where you are now. <laughs> I got a suit. You borrow a suit. We'll, work. <laughs> we'll definitely have to have you come back because I feel like I have so many more questions. But we well, I'm happy to talk with y'all. I, I really enjoyed visiting with you. Thank you for what you're doing. This has been the Seedy and Shady AF podcast. Thanks to all the peas in our pod for listening. We believe in you and we believe in your plants. Follow us for more shenanigans on Instagram at Seedy and Shady Pod. Until next time, stay seedy, stay shady. And remember, sketchy gardening is still gardening.